How are you guys doing this morning? All right, all right, good. It's a little cold outside, right? Yeah? By the way, it's warmer outside than it was when I spent the night at Chick-fil-A last week, so just to give you a little glimpse of how that was. Um, Today, we're going to wrap up our series called Hindsight 2020, and the past few weeks, we've been talking about hindsight, we've been talking about our past, and we've been talking about regrets, and we've been talking about how to move on and how to move forward. And so far, we've looked at two different guys. The first week, we talked about Peter. Uh, Peter, he was a, he was a pretty good guy, um, he, but he had issues, okay? He wasn't perfect. He had done, um, he had made some major mistakes in his past, but God still chose him. Jesus still chose him. And Jesus did incredible things through Peter we see throughout the, throughout the New Testament, just incredible things. Thousands of people come to know Jesus and come literally from the path to hell to the path of heaven because of this guy named Peter. All right, last week we talked about Paul and, uh, and Paul, even worse than Peter, he had done even worse things. I mean, he was taking Christians and he was pulling them out of their beds, pulling them out of their, their homes and dragging them to jail. And Paul's goal was to kill as many of these people as he possibly could. But then when Jesus confronts Paul, he does like a 180 in his life. You guys remember how this goes? Remember last week? Everybody's like, huh? What? I don't remember. No. He does like a 180 in his life, but that doesn't erase what, what Paul did. Okay, it doesn't erase his past. It doesn't erase his mistakes. But the way that Paul tells us that he gets through is he says, I recognized the grace that God gave to me. Okay, this kindness that I didn't earn in any way, this unmerited kindness. He says, I recognize that God gave that to me. And then what's so cool about it is, is Paul, he says, and I really, really, really wanted to make sure that God, he gave me this grace that I did not waste God's grace. He's like, so I worked as hard as I possibly could. I went to, you know, he went to town on people. I mean, he was trying to do whatever he possibly could to reach as many people as he possibly could for Jesus. And, uh, and he, we see Paul, he writes more of the New Testament than any other, than any other author. I mean, Paul, God, obviously, I mean, he used Paul and Paul did incredible things even though he had such a negative, terrible, terrible past. It really makes us wonder. At least it made me wonder. Actually, I didn't even say this first service. I was thinking of this as I was backstage during this service. And I'm like, I wonder, how much of God's grace do I waste, right? Have you ever thought about that before? I should have brought that up last week, and I missed it, man. How much, God, great, how much of God's grace do we just waste? I mean, that was Paul's big thing. He's like, I, God's showed me grace, but I just, I just don't want to waste it. It's kind of a sad thought. It's like, oh, man, God shows me incredible grace. God has given us so much, but if we're not using it to do the work that God has given us, which, by the way, the same work that Paul was doing, which is reaching as many people as he possibly could for Jesus, that's the same job we have today, okay? That's what the Bible tells us, the same job. It hasn't changed in the last 2,000 years. It's the same job we have today, and God, he's given us so much. He's showed us so much grace, and I feel like, at least in my life, and I'm sure you feel, like the, you feel this too, is that I feel like I have just wasted so much of God's grace, the thing that Paul um, was so serious about and, and the thing he, def- he desperately didn't want to do. See, many times, one of the ways we waste God's grace is we spend too much time dwelling on and thinking about our past mistakes, okay? Thinking about our regrets. Think about the opportunities that we missed out on. Or maybe it was some, maybe we could pinpoint to like one major stupid decision in our life that it's just like, man, I would give anything to go back there and just, and just be able to make a different choice, 
Maybe it's multiple decisions that we made in our past. And what we end up doing is when we constantly think about those things, we constantly dwell on those things, what we're doing is a lot of times it keeps us from moving forward, and that's a problem for us. See, when we think of our past mistakes, which by the way, we all do because none of us in here are perfect, definitely including me, all right? We're all messed up. We're all sinful people. The Bible tells us that. We all have sin. But for me personally, if I look back and I think about my biggest regrets in life, all right, they all revolve around sin, right? My biggest regrets, they revolve around, is due to some sort of sin, some sort of wrong decision that I made in my life. Something in our past that was just, is just wrong. A lot of times what we do is we're, you know, we're faced with a decision and it's between right and wrong. We know what's right and we know what's wrong, but we pick what's wrong just because we want it so bad in the moment. And then we regret it later. And this morning we're going to look at another guy who dealt with that very thing that we all deal with so many times, you know, so much. And um, this guy had done worse things than Peter and worse things than Paul and worse things than any of us in this room. Yet what's crazy about it is the way that God, I mean, think about this, the way that God describes this guy is he says, this guy is a man after my own heart. A lot of you guys might know who I'm talking about. His name is, is David, and he's a guy in the Old Testament. He lived about 3,000 years ago. Um, things started off super good for David. Uh, he was a young shepherd boy, we see, and, uh, and, and things are going, going good when he was a teenager. He gets in a fight with this giant warrior named Goliath, and somehow he wins. And uh, when that happens, he, in, in both, he's got two armies of two different nations, one's Israel, watching. And uh, when that happens, when he defeats Goliath, and he actually cuts off his head, and uh, uh, when that happens, I mean, he's instantly famous, all right? He's famous. You know, he's the kids that, he's the, thing, the, the guy that parents would put their kids to bed at night and tell them the bedtime story about, oh, I want to hear that story about David and Goliath. He's like the hometown hero. And then just a few years later, when he becomes about 30, when he's about 30 years old, David becomes king of Israel, and, uh, and, and for the first 20 years or so of his reign, everything's good, all right? He's got a good family. He's, like, undefeated. Uh, he, on the battlefield, I mean, no other nation can, you know, they try to come up against him, but David always wins, and he's got this super, real, deep, special, personal relationship with God, and uh, the whole nation is the best, you know, doing the best it has ever been in the history of Israel, and everything's going well, and then when he gets to about 50, you know, just over 50, 51, 52 years old, all right, things change. Now, back in ancient times, when you're in your 50s, all right, I'm not saying today, all right, don't get offended, don't go home and write an email, all right, listen to what I'm saying, all right. Back in ancient times, when you're in your 50s, you are old, okay? All right, you're old. This is how it was back then. A lot of people, they didn't make it to their 50s. Um, I'm glad that we live in a you know, more modern era now. But, uh, but when you're in your 50s, I mean, you probably lost all of your teeth. You were not young. You were not handsome. And you smelled bad, okay? That's what it meant. That's, that was being old back then when you're in your early 50s. Not a good situation. Um, and so one year, David, he actually sends his army out 
to, uh, to, to battle. One spring, this wind, uh, springtime was about the time when, when kings would go fight each other. Um, it's just how they did it in their culture. Kind of weird. And so uh, he sent his army out, which is extremely unusual because usually the king would be the guy who's leading the army, but not this year. Right? And we don't know why that is. The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know if maybe they thought he was too old or maybe that he was sick or maybe he just, I don't know, had some things he had to take care of and so he's going to stay behind this year. But, uh, but one night as his armies, are, they're off fighting his battles. One night he, he, he can't sleep. He actually wakes up and he starts walking around. Now, how many of you do that once in a while where it's like you just can't sleep? You've been laying there and, uh, and, you, start, and you start, you get up and you start walking around the house. You guys, anybody else? Do, okay, all right. I did that last night, okay? I couldn't sleep. I don't know what the issue was. I like, woke up at three, and I know some of you guys are like, three? That's like when I always wake up. Well, good for you, okay? You're a better man than I am. But uh, for me, three, 3 a.m., I mean, that's like right in the middle of my night, okay? And uh, I got up at three this, this morning, and I could not go back to sleep. I laid there for like an hour, and it was just like, oh, what the, you know, what's going on here? And, and I actually got up, and I started walking around the house. And what I discovered, and I've done this before, but I'm like, I was, what I was reminded about today, I was like, man, it's kind of, it's kind of nice. There's no kids. Everything's clean, all right? It's all quiet. You know, I'm like, dude. Maybe I should uh, go to bed at like five and get up at three every day. I don't, you know, this is like super good. And, uh, and so I actually experienced that this morning. And this is the same thing that, uh, that David is experiencing. He starts walking around his palace and he actually goes up to the roof and he's walking around and, uh, and he's, he's overlooking his city. And then 2 Samuel chapter 11, this is what happens. It says, one evening, David, he got up from his bed And he strolled around on the roof of the palace, and from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. Okay, let me just explain to you what this means real quick. This is the the word for beautiful here is tobe in in the Hebrew, and it literally means fine. Okay, like ultra fine, right? So the Bible is literally saying, hey, there is this ultra fine woman bathing on her roof, and David is walking on his palace roof, and he just gets a glimpse, and he's like, whoa, 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 who's that? I don't know if he tried to cover up his eyes, like, uh, but he started looking, and, uh, and it says, so David went, or David sent someone to inquire about her, and he said, the servant says, he says, whoa, 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 David, isn't this Bathsheba, daughter, daughter, daughter of Eliam, and wife, 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 wife of Uriah? He's standing up there. He has this sermon. He questions about, he, he, he questions the sermon. Who is that? He's like, hey, you, you know that guy. That, that's Uriah's wife. It's a daughter. It's also his wife. See, Uriah, which you got to understand, was an extremely important guy, okay? He was actually one of David's right-hand men, one of David's best friends. David had tens of thousands of men in his army, but he had this select, unique group that was that he, of, of 30 guys that David called his mighty men, okay? His mighty men. And so whenever David had a secret mission, whenever David needed, David needed something special done that was extremely dangerous, that he needed the best of the best, these are the guys that he sent out, and these guys got it done, okay? That's 
that's who these guys were. These guys, they, they ran his army, or they, they led his army, and they, they did all the stuff that he needed to do. He trusted them, and these guys worked with David. They fought for David, and they respected David, and they were good friends with David. And so the servant says, hey, that's Uriah's wife, okay, one of your guys. And when David sees Uriah's wife, he can't seem to help himself. In verse four, it says, David sent messengers to get her. Can you put it back up? <laughs> I don't have. <laughs> David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to him, he slept with her. So they spend the night together. Actually, they probably spent multiple nights together. She eventually goes home and uh, and David think everything seems good, all right? David's, uh, he's all, he's like, what is it? What's I hear laughing, and I'm like, what? Okay, that's not part of it, all right? He, maybe he did worship her, I don't know. Um, actually, kind of sounds like maybe he did. But, uh, but everything seems good for David, right? There's no issues. David's like, hey, I've gotten away with it. It's over, it's done, it's in the past. Nobody has to know. By the way, don't we do this sometimes? I mean, we do this, I feel like we do this a lot with sin or stuff that we struggle with on a regular basis. We think to ourselves, we say, hey, you know, uh, you know I'm, I'm, yeah, of course I did something that's not wrong, it's not best, but, but it didn't, you know, we think it didn't hurt anybody. It's not that big of a deal. So David's thinking, hey, we'll just never, ever talk about this ever again. We'll act like it didn't happen. And when we wrap banquets and stuff, you know, I just won't talk to Bathsheba and, and Uriah. He'll never have to know. And we'll just, you know, I shouldn't have done it, but, but, but we'll, just, we'll just move on from this. And it's in my past. And, and we'll just, you know, he completely doesn't, he, he purposely doesn't acknowledge what he's done here. And then a few weeks go by and Bathsheba, she sends a message to David that says, hey, just so you know, remember that night we spent together? Okay, yeah, um, I'm pregnant. He's got an issue. There's a problem. Instead of facing what David had done, he actually comes up with a plan to hide it. And his plan goes like this. He, he sends a, a message to his, um, to his commander of his armies named Joab. And he says, hey, Joab, uh, could you send Uriah home for just for, for a day and so that I could get, you know, an update on the battle, an update on the war, we'll see, see what's going on, see if there's anything I can do over here. Um, I'd just like to know what's going on. So Uriah comes home. He gives uh, David the update. David's like, okay, uh, cool update. Hey, Uriah, why don't you go home tonight? I right, spend some time with your wife, sleep in your own bed, all right? You know, spend some time at your own house. It'll be nice. You've been to battle for, for a long time now. Why don't you go home? And so they part ways, and uh, Uriah, but Uriah doesn't go home. He actually spends the night laying on the ground outside the gates of the palace. And when David wakes up the next morning, he finds out, and he goes to Uriah, and he's like, whoa, 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 what happened? I mean, you've been at battle all this time. Why, why, why didn't you go home? And Uriah says, hey, I thought about it, but then I started feeling guilty because my men are out there, and they're sleeping on the ground, and they're in harm's way, and they could be attacked at any moment, and they're sleeping in tents and all this stuff. And I just felt, I just felt like, well, you know, I probably shouldn't go home. And sleep in luxury, sleep in my own bed. And David's like, okay, all right. And so David says, all right, I want you to stay one more day. 
Stay one more day. And during that day, David gets Uriah all good and drunk, and he takes Uriah at night, and he goes, "Uh, Uriah, over here, okay, go, there's your home, go. Uriah still doesn't go. His plan's not working. And so David, he grabs a pen, he grabs some paper, he writes a message to Joab. He says, hey, Joab, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take Uriah when he gets there. I want you to, next battle that you guys in, I want you to go and put Uriah in the fiercest part of the battle, like where things are, you know, when things are going to get super dangerous and where the fighting's going to be the hottest. Put him in that part of the, the, the battle. And then when things are getting crazy, I want you to pull back all your men and leave Uriah and his men there and hopefully they get killed. And so he takes that letter, he signs it, he seals it, and then he hands the letter to Uriah, which is kind of messed up, right? It's a death sentence. And Uriah takes that letter. He's like, okay, thanks. You know, thanks, coach. And then, and then he walks and he goes back to the battle and he gives the letter to Joab and Joab uh, puts in place David's plan and Uriah dies in battle. Jeb sends a message back to David and says, hey, David, guess what? It's done. It's taken care of. Whatever Uriah, I don't know what Uriah did. That he did deserve that, but, but I took care of it. You know, Uriah's dead. You don't have to worry about that anymore. And Bathsheba mourns for her husband. She's devastated. She's still pregnant. And David eventually takes her to be his wife. And probably to everybody else around him, I mean, everybody could see that Bathsheba's pregnant and everybody knows that Uriah was at least in town. And so probably to everybody else, when David marries Bathsheba, I mean, probably everybody's going, hey, well, man, what a good guy David is. Like what a good friend David is because he just married his best friend's wife and now he's gonna raise his kid for him. What a guy. And David thinks everything's good. He thinks he's gotten away with it. David doesn't seem to be really acknowledging what he's done. Now, does David have some regret? Yeah. Probably. But it's done. It's over. There's nothing he can do about it now, right? I mean, Bathsheba's his wife. I mean, he can't make her get unpregnant. You know, by the way, let me just say this. This, I feel like, is where a lot of us are. All right, this is kind of what a lot of us do. Right? Well, kind of what David's doing at this point. We ignore our past. All right, we ignore our past. And all of us in here, we've all made mistakes, okay? We made that clear for the last few weeks. We're all sinners. We're all jacked up people. We've all made bad decisions. We all have a life literally full of sin. It's part of us, unfortunately. But many of us, instead of fixing our life, Instead of moving on, we hide it. We hide it. We ignore it as if it doesn't exist. The regret is there. We can feel it inside. The guilt is there. I mean, God, he gives us guilt. The Holy Spirit makes us feel guilty for when we do wrong things, but we don't deal with it. And we continue living the life, a life the way that we want to live it. See, this is what David's doing right here. He's acting like everything's all good. I mean, his Facebook, his social media, his Instagram, all that stuff. I mean, it, it looks like everything is good. He's got this perfect life. But on the inside, 
is eating him alive. Actually, we know that um, in, later on in David's life, he actually writes about how he felt during this moment of his life. And in Psalm 32, this is what David says. He says, when I kept silent, when I didn't tell anybody, when I tried to hide this thing, he says, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. He says, for the day or for day and night, your hand or God's hand was heavy on me and my strength was drained. Isn't that how we feel sometimes? When we have guilt when we have regret and we're thinking about this and it's just, it's just weighing on us, I mean, isn't it sometimes where it's just like our inside is just groaning and, and we feel like, you know, we're just so messed up and, and day and night, it's like God's hand is heavy on us and because of that, we don't know what to do and it's like our strength is just, it just drains. That's what David's saying. He's saying, this is how I felt when I refused to acknowledge my sin. I felt it. It was part of me. It was there. But I kept pushing it down. I kept pushing it away. And for David, a few months passed by. And then the baby's born. And I'm sure, like, let's be, let's be honest with ourselves. I'm sure the baby being born helps mask that a little bit. Uh, and, you know, it, it helps distract him for what's really going on deep down um, in, his, in his life. But then the last verse in chapter 11, the author of 2 Samuel chapter 11 says, However, the Lord considered what David had done to be evil. See, just like Peter, just like Paul, just like us, when we do stuff wrong, and we're a Christian, we got a re real, true relationship with God, which probably isn't everybody in here, but when, when we do, and we do stuff wrong, God just doesn't let us go, right? He pulls us back, and sometimes that hurts a little bit. And so here, in this situation with David, God's just not going to let David go. And so God sends David a messenger, which happens to be a good friend of David and also a prophet, and his name is Nathan. And so when Nathan finds out what has happened, what's he do? He schedules an appointment with David. By the way, let me just throw this out there. All of us need a Nathan in our life, okay? We are called as a church not to do life by ourselves. We are called as a church to do life together. In our society today, it's like, it's like we have to accept every little thing, whether it's right or wrong, from, from every person. Okay, we don't have a right to tell anybody when they're wrong. That is not, that is not right. That is not true friendship. That's not a true relationship. See, a true friends, they tell each other the hard truth. It's uncomfortable. True friends, they tell each other the hard truth because it's good for them. That's what David, or that's what Nathan does. You think it was easy for him to go to the king? He's going to point out that he, that he cheated on his wife and that he, he uh, committed adultery with his, with his friend's wife. And then he had his friends murdered. Probably not the easiest thing he's done, right? And so Nathan, he goes, and he actually begins to tell David a story. This is how he, he, he does it, which is so clever and interesting to me. He tells David a story, and he says, hey, David, um, hey, I got, uh, I got something that, that I need to tell you, something that happened recently. David's like, all right, yeah, yeah, what's up? 
He's like, okay, so there's this rich guy and this young guy. There's rich guy and this poor guy. This rich guy, he was a, he had so many like flocks of sheep. He had sheep, 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 sheep. There's sheep everywhere, sheep all over the place. He was loaded with sheep, okay, which back then was really cool, all right? And he's like, but this poor guy, he didn't have a bunch of sheep. He actually only had one little lamb, and he loved this lamb. He petted this lamb, and he cared for this lamb, and this lamb slept in his arms, and he, had, he fed this lamb off his table. And this lamb, he spent, you know, this lamb grew up with his kids, and he was all about this lamb. This lamb, it, I mean, honestly, this lamb is like how some of you guys view your dogs and your cats and stuff like that, where it's like you're all about, I've seen some of your social medias where it's just like, it's all about your dog, okay? Look at what my dog did today. Look at this face he made. He smiled at me, you know, all this stuff. You know, some of you guys are all into that, um, that's how, he is about, that's how he is about this lamb, okay? He's, uh, he's all about this lamb. And so this traveler comes, and he's going to spend some time with, uh, with the rich guy. And the rich guy, he wants to put on some meal, a meal for him. And instead of going to one of his many sheep, he actually goes to his neighbor's house, the poor guy, and he steals this guy's lamb, and he kills it, and he eats it. Not cool. And when David hears this, he's like, What? That shouldn't have happened, and he is ticked. This is what David says. He says, David was infuriated with the man. He's ticked. And he says to Nathan, he says, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. I mean, he's taking it to the extreme. He says, because he has done this thing and has shown no pity, he must pay four lambs for that lamb. So, so he should pay four times of what that lamb was worth. And then the next verse, it says, Nathan replied to David, you are that man. I mean, can you imagine the awkward silence here? I mean, Nathan's just told David this story, and David's standing there, and he's like, oh, man, that's messed up. All right, what's going on here? Why would he do that? And then Nathan stands there in front of him, and he points at him, and he says, you're that guy. I mean, it had to have been an awkward silence. You know, David's just like, Okay, <laughs> I don't know what he said. You know, Nathan is just like, dude, you did this exact thing. Only what you did, David, was way worse. Hey, you slept, you cheated on your wife. You slept with your best friend's wife, and then you covered it up by murdering your friend when none of your plans to cover it up worked, and now you're walking around acting like nothing happened. And when David hears this, something about it clicks. It's interesting to me as I'm like thinking about this um, story, I'm like, what, what was it about the little lamb? Like this, he's done all this stuff and, and he doesn't really, he, we know he feels regret, we know he feels remorse, but he doesn't show it and he doesn't acknowledge it really in, in any way. But then this little story about this dumb little lamb, you know, it seems to like open everything all up. And maybe, I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because he was a shepherd and uh, maybe, you know, he, maybe when he was a, a boy back in the day, he had some little lamb. Maybe somebody killed it and ate it. I don't know. But, uh, but something about the story, he's like, okay, I recognize that. That is, that is messed up. And he can no longer ignore what he has done. And then David responds. And this is what he says. He says, David responded to Nathan. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. 
And then Nathan replied to David, he says, and the Lord has taken away your sin and you won't die. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. And then Nathan went home. See, a lot of us, I think we, we hear the story and we get caught up with, well, uh, what? That doesn't sound right. Well, that's, that's kind of messed up. What the kid, the, the baby didn't do anything. This is all David's fault. Why does the baby have to die? And part of it is because I think a lot of times deep down inside, we, for some reason, feel like we know better than God. Right? We know more than God, and we know what God should have done, but, but it could have easily been God saying, hey, it is way better for you, for you, baby, to, to take you now and to live with me in, in heaven or eternity or whatever um, than for you to live a life on this earth and go through what you're going to have to go through. And so he takes the baby, and he knows, God knows that this will cut David's heart. But David will find restoration, and he will find freedom, and he will find forgiveness. And did it work? Yeah. Next verse. It says, the Lord struck the baby that Uriah's wife had borne to David, and he became deathly ill. And David pleaded with God for the boy. He fasted, he went home, and he spent the night lying on the ground. And the elders of his house, they stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he was unwilling, and he would not eat anything with them, okay? So David is devastated. When he hears, when Nathan tells him what God is going to do, he is devastated. And so he, he goes in, like, depression mode, okay? He, he's down on the ground. He won't get up. His servants are trying to get him to get up. He won't get off the ground, right? He, uh, he won't eat anything. His servants are trying to get him to eat stuff. He won't eat. I mean, he, is, he can't get past his past, and he can't stop thinking about what he's done. And he can't stop thinking about the consequences of his actions. See, and I think a lot of us, this is where we're at. I see some of us, we like to hide our mistakes and we hide our sin and, and, uh, and that's, that's our problem. But for a lot of us, that isn't our problem. That's not what we do with our past mistakes. See, a lot of us, we do the opposite is we broadcast our mistakes and we broadcast our sin and everyone around us knows all the problems that we've ever had and that we ever have gone through in our past. It's the, you know, it's the woe is me mentality. It's the, oh, poor me, poor me, poor me, poor me, poor me. Look how bad my life is now because of my past. Look at all my regrets and, and look at all my struggles. And the honest truth for a lot of people who fall into this category is, is they recognize their past mistakes, which is good. And they have regrets, which is good. But so many times what I've seen is those people aren't willing to move forward. They're not willing to move forward. See, some people, they even take it a step further. It's when it comes to their relationship with God, it's like they use their mistakes to hold them back on purpose. See, so many times in ministry, I've, you know, I can't even count how many times I've had someone come up to me and say, and you know, I've been talking to them and they've had some sketchy past and they've done some things that they shouldn't have done and they, they have regrets. And then they're like, well, I just can't believe in a God who believes, who, who, who would accept a person like me because of what I've done. Right? Or, or you know, I can't, I, I can't 
um, you know, God could never accept me because of my past, or God could never love me because of the mistakes that I've made. And what ends up happening, or what I see happening, is a lot of people, they use their past mistakes as an excuse to stay away from God. Instead of running to God, they put God at, at an arm's length distance, okay? They, th- they, say, they say, well, I can't go to church because look who I am. I can't serve in a church because look what I've done in the past. Or, or I can't invite a friend to church because they know what I've done. And we're taking it, when we're doing that, we're taking it even further than David did. See, at least David, he acknowledges his sin. Now, he spends a week in depression and he's stuck in this regret. Actually, he writes during this week, and he writes kind of how he feels, and he writes out some prayers to God. And Psalm 51 is a famous passage. This is what he says about this specific situation in his life, right here, right now. He says, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. He says, blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. He's like, take it away from me, God. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin. It's like I can't stop thinking about it. It's always before me. It's a part of me. I can't get away from it. I can't stop thinking about my past mistakes. I can't stop thinking about my past regrets. He's saying, God, please take it away. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, it says, on the seventh day, the baby died. But David's servants, they were afraid to tell him that the baby was dead because they said, hey, look, like while the baby was alive, we spoke to him and he wouldn't listen to us. So how can we tell him that the baby is dead? He may do something desperate. You know, he might commit suicide or, he, you know, he might, look at what he did when everything was going well. What will he do now when things are going terrible for him? It says, when David saw that his servants were whispering to each other, he sees him across the room, he guessed that the baby was dead. And so he asked the servants, he said, is Did it happen? Is the baby dead? He is dead, they replied. And then check this out. It says, then David got up from the ground, and he washed and he anointed himself, and he changed his clothes, and he went to the Lord's house, and he worshiped. Then he went home, and he requested something to eat, and so they served him food, and he ate. And his servants, they asked him, they're like, what? What's going on here? Like, why have you done this? See, when the baby was alive, you fasted and and wept. But when he died, you got up and ate food. And check out his answer, okay? This is so key to us. This is so, this applies to our life in so many different ways. He says, he says, while the baby was alive, this is what David says, while the baby was alive, I fasted and wept because I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let him live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? See, I'll go to him, but he, he'll never return to me. So I can't bring him back. Look what David does. Baby dies. He immediately gets up. He washes, changes his clothes, and then what's the first thing he does? Worships. He worshiped. Then he went home, and then he ate. And his servants, they can't figure it out. They're like, this doesn't make any sense. Nobody does this. Like, why are you so weird? What, what, you know, what are you, what are you doing? 
And they ask him why. And David's answer is basically, hey, it's over. There is nothing that I can do. I will see him someday when I die. But I can't bring him back. And I recognize that. See, what does David do? And what does he do here? He moves on. He moves on. Now, was that easy? No. Does that take away what he did? Does it erase his past? No. Does he still have to live with regret? Sure. Does his past define his future? No. Does it affect his future? Yes. By the way, I'm not saying that it's necessarily wrong to feel regret, to be sad, or to feel guilty. Again, we know that God makes us feel guilty when we do things wrong. But notice here, this is so important. Notice, for David, it comes to an end. It's not indefinite. It has an ending point. He gets up and, and he moves on. By the way, one of the first things that David does is worships. Right? Before he goes home, he hasn't eaten in a week. Before he eats, he spends time with God and he worships. See, I think that's the key. I think that's the key to how we move on. See, some of us in here, some of us, we need to stop acting like our past mistakes or our past sin didn't happen. We need to just straight up acknowledge it. All right? Be, be real with yourself. Right? Uh, you know, confess it to yourself. And, and look at what David does. He acknowledges it, he confesses it to God, and then he moves on. And some of you, that's where you're at. That's, you just, you just, you've been putting it down, you've been leaving it there, you've been keeping it away from you, you don't want to deal with it, and, and, and it's weighing you down because it's still a part of you, and you're just acting like everything's all good, and nobody around you, nobody around you, you know, even knows about it. But what you need to do is you just need to take some time, you need to acknowledge it, you need to confess it, then you need to move on. But then others of us, We've been stuck in depression and we've been stuck in regret and it all revolves around some past sin in our life, some mistake that we've done. And the honest truth for us is it controls our life. It controls us, right? It defines our life. And sometimes, it was crazy, sometimes we even use it to push God away. So we need to get up we need to spend some time with God, and we need to worship. It's actually what Paul did, the guy who we talked about last week. Right? Paul had done all this stuff, all this terrible, terrible, terrible things that none of us in here have done. And what's he do? He responds in worship. Actually, Paul writes this later on in his life. He says, hey, this is how I moved on. I'm, he says, I'm forgetting the past, this is what Paul says, forgetting the past, I look forward to what lies ahead. He says, forget the past. Yeah, it still happened. Yeah, it's still there. But that's not something we should be dwelling on, and that's not something we should be spending time thinking about, uh, thinking on. He's saying, Paul's saying, hey, you need to move on. Look forward. Don't look back. So what's crazy is, remember, God describes David. God describes David 
as a man after his own heart. A lot of times we, we think, well, a man after God's own heart. I mean, that would be somebody who doesn't do anything wrong. Right? That'd be somebody who's like as close to perfect as you could become. That's not it. See, God describes David as a man after his own heart, not because David was perfect, not because David didn't struggle with sin, not because David, David didn't do terrible, terrible, terrible things in his life. God describes David as a man after his own heart because of how David moved forward after sin. That's what set David apart. Let's pray. God, we, none of us are perfect. We are so messed up. God, we make mistakes daily. We sin, we sin all the time. But God, you still love us and you still show us grace. God, we ask that we would acknowledge our sin, confess it to you, and then move on. And we thank you for this example in, with David of someone who just messed up so bad. But you still showed him grace, and you still forgave him. That didn't mean that there was no consequence for David. That, mean that, you never, that meant that you never left him. And that he could still have that special, deep, awesome relationship with you, God. That the same relationship that you are offering to every single person in this room. God, we hope that we would be able to move on from our past. And just like Paul was saying, that we would look forward to what lies ahead. That you, as you give us grace, that we would choose not to waste the grace that you have put in our life. And we would work hard to do the work that you have told us to do, to reach as many people as we possibly can for you. God, we thank you for loving us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.